Welcome to Church at the Well podcast. Thank you for joining us. Ecclesiastes chapter 6 verse 10 through chapter 7 verse 14. Whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful, and in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. This is the word of the Lord. Father God, we just want to thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here together. Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears to what you have to say. Lord, uh, would you change us? Um, Speak clearly to us. And Lord, may we be obedient to what you have. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? <laughs> um, it's been an interesting week. So I spent my week kind of in like the worst place that you could possibly put me, and that is chained to a desk, right? And so um, I felt like I didn't see any people, and I came and I got to see all you guys today, and it's very exciting for me. Um, we're Dive, if you're new, my name's Kevin. I'm the lead pastor of Church at the Well in East Boston, and we are going all the way back to before Christmas and finishing up our series here It'll take us almost to Easter to finish Ecclesiastes, so I have to bring you guys kind of back up to where we left off way before the Christmas series. We call this series The Good Life, and here's what's interesting about this title of the series. Ecclesiastes is hard. It's been a difficult book to not only like read, study, but preach. Um, some of the, the, the difficulties have been, it feels kind of um, repetitive that Solomon saying the same things kind of over and over. It has this kind of tone to it often where it almost feels depressing. (laughs) And you go, whoa, this is really intense. And then I'm picking us right back up into this series in a passage of scripture where I'm gonna be very honest with you. I read it on Monday and went, oh, okay, this is gonna take some work. Because the first time I read it, 
I hadn't read it in a, quite a while, I thought, I have no idea what to do with this. Um, this, is, this is tough. Um, and so I think it's a good place to pick back up in the series. If you remember, um, Ecclesiastes is a form of literature that we call wisdom literature. It was wi- written by one of the, or the wisest man that has ever lived. Um, the Lord poured extra wisdom into Solomon. We know that he had a lot of money. We know that he had a lot of power. He had a lot of strength. And he spends this time writing us this message, this letter, um, basically expressing to us what his experience has been in, in attempting to figure out what life is truly supposed to be about. Like, what is the good life? If you have, were raised in the church and you've grown up as a Christ follower, um, you'll have the typical Sunday school answer, right? Where it seems like every answer to every question is Jesus. And I remember catching on to that when I was in Sunday school as a little kid, and it was just like, it didn't matter. I didn't have to pay attention, and the, if the teacher asked a question, I raised my hand, the answer was Jesus. And if that wasn't the actual answer, then it was the actual answer, right? Because Jesus is always the answer. And when we go through hard things like this that we're going to talk about today, I think often we need to be reminded that in the midst of even the struggle of trying to balance things in our life and understand what the Holy Spirit's telling us as far as what the good life looks like, the answer is Jesus. <laughs> so um, with that kind of in mind, I think that this is a great place to kind of pick back up in the series because Solomon just dives right back in here. So in verse 10 of chapter 6, he says, Whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. And this is going to set up kind of the whole theme of what we're going to be talking about today. I have my desires in life, I have my ambitions, I have my passions. I have my wants. I have these things that I dream about. I have um, things that I want to do. I have things that I don't want to do, right? And you have all of these things as well. And what's fascinating about living life is that oftentimes we find ourselves in situations that seem to go completely opposite of the way that we've been attempting to live or the desires that are in our heart. And we go, how did we get here? Right? And it, it doesn't have to be like, oh, I blew this, or I made a bad decision, or I'm seeing ramifications of sin. Oftentimes, it can be, man, my life is going in a direction, not because of my issues, but maybe the issues of somebody else. Oftentimes, it may be there's a circumstance that has occurred in just a broad spectrum. I, hate, I, I can't believe I'm going to say this again, but like COVID, right? I, that's, I'm not, I don't want to talk about it anymore. But that changed everything, and it impacted us in ways that you could possibly, you never imagined it impacting. And it put everything that you desired kind of on hold. Um, sometimes, you know, I, I, I was heartbroken. Um, I have a, a friend who, pastor, who used to pastor in Georgia. He was a church planter through Acts 29. And um, there was a Facebook post. We've lost touch over the last few years, but I reached out to him because he had a Facebook post that said that his 20-year-old daughter had just died. And she wasn't sick. She just died. 
I mean, there was no reason for it. It was some kind of freaky thing that just happened in her health, and she was gone. And his life is now altered. All of the dreams, all of the, the things that he was chasing kind of got put on hold, and this is where he was at. And here's the thing. This is life. You know, however you want to say it, I tell you all the time, we live in a sin-cursed world. We're sin-cursed beings. There's ramifications for sin. We live in the world that we as human beings chose, and it's hard. But we also serve a sovereign God who moves and we can't argue against. And if we can grasp that today, like, I think one of the things that I'm learning about myself is I want God to give me answers because I think he owes them to me. And I am venture to say that I'm probably no different than you guys. Isn't it fascinating that when we seem to be going through things, we're, we will come to God looking for answers instead of just resting in the sovereignty of knowing that he's in control. And there's a major difference in how our life is played out based upon those two scenarios. Instead of coming to God for answers, wouldn't it be interesting if our attitude was, God, I don't know answers. I know that you know the answers, but I also know you're probably not going to give them to me. So I'm going to rest in your sovereignty. I'm going to rest in the fact that you are in control of all things, that, that you see everything, that nothing happens in my life or in this world that you're not aware of, that you're not in control of. I mean, and I just said, amen, let's go home. That's enough to process. But as Solomon introduces this idea, and he's going to defend it, he comes up with some questions here in verses 11 through 12. And there's three questions that I've kind of boiled down to two. And then the rest of the passage, if this was confusing when we read it, is an attempt to answer those two questions. Okay? So I'm going to break this down as simply as I can for you. The first question is, what is good in our short life? And the answer to when I, when I realized that verses 1 through 12 in chapter 7 were actually answering that question, I was shocked by the answer. Uh, and I don't know why. It makes sense. But I was a little bit overwhelmed, and I think it, it, it forced me to really kind of dive into what is, what is the reason for answering it this way. Now, once again, the complexities of this passage, we have a, the first question is going to be answered in verses 1 through 12. And verses 1 through 12 are kind of divided into two scenes. Okay, and I know this feels like Bible study, but that's cool. Scene 1 is kind of, the comparison of a funeral versus a rager. Funeral versus party. Okay? Scene two is picture an individual coming to the crossroads of life, and they're trying to make a decision on which path they're going to take. And one path is going to be called the path of wisdom, and one path is going to be called the path of folly. And so we're going to answer the first question, what is good in this short life that we have by looking at these two scenes, okay? 
So the first scene, once again, it's this idea of a funeral versus a party. It says in verse 1 of chapter 7, a good name is better than precious ointment in the day of death than the day of birth. That's a fascinating, like when I said this is shocking to me, um, uh, there's a big thing right now like where the gender reveals when babies are being born and they have gotten way out of control, <laughs> Right? In fact, I saw a video not too long ago where somebody screwed it up, and like, and I don't know if it was intentional, it probably was, but they like were popping a balloon with like an arrow that they shot, and then the color that came out of the balloon was like purple. And they were like, uh, what does that mean? And they're looking at each other like, well, we don't even know, we've revealed nothing, right? <laughs> um, there's this energy that we get around life when somebody's born, it's awesome. We know that the, the creator of life is God, so we celebrate that. When we think about just life in general, I think as human beings, we desire for our life to be this um, exciting, adventurous thing that kind of never stops, right? It's the generation that has been born after me has this really strong desire to travel all the time and seek out new adventures in other locations, which I think is a really cool thing. It, but what we find ourselves is one of the reasons that we get addicted to that is I like this idea of kind of doing what I want, when I want to do it, where I want to do it, with the freedom that I want to do it in, and it makes me feel like there's this emotion of I'm really in control of my own life and I want to celebrate that. And then when we don't have that, we're pursuing things that are going to help free us up so that we do. Um, and in this passage, it's saying that, in, in essence, death is better than birth. And I, I, when I first read that, I remember sitting back and thinking, from a theological standpoint, I understand where this is coming from, but do I actually believe that? It keeps going. It pushes it. It's better, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. Now, I know that I don't believe that. <laughs> because given the choice, every time, every time, if, you really, if I'm really honest, if I look at the party and I look at the morning, I'm going toward the party. Why? Well, we can chalk that up sometimes to personality, right? I get energy from people, so I could go, well, the reason that it's where people are at, it's energy, it's fun, I don't really believe the party has started till I get there anyway. So it's like I owe it to these people for me to show up so they can have a party. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> um, obviously, I'm joking. There's, but I, I have found, like, if, if you take that kind of analogy and put it into kind of, Further, I'm constantly attempting to choose the things that are going to make me feel happy over going to make me process things. Right? Um, so I, I'm going to ex- we want to explain why the why wisdom would say this is accurate, but I also think that if we're really going to get this, we have to understand what we typically choose. That if you have this 
path, this choice, typically you're going to go to the party over the funeral. Right? Sorrow is better than laughter, it says in verse 3. For by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. Once again, I, my natural tendency would be, my heart's going to be made glad by going and celebrating with someone. So what is actually happening here? Like, why would the wisest man in the world look at the comparison of death versus life and say it's death that is more beneficial? And so here we go. He talks about this idea that it makes our heart glad. What, one of the things that we're going to have to constantly be reminded of is that we are created beings. Um, I'm a creature. So are you. You are created by a, a sovereign, all-powerful God to fulfill purpose he gives us life. He, he, we, we know what we did with that. We know the fall. We know sin enters the picture. We know that we're not living in the world that we're supposed to be living in. And we know the ramifications of sin are all around us. We forget oftentimes that we are not in control. We are the created beings of the one who is. And we also forget that there's an end. You know, thinking through this pastor friend who lost his daughter at a young age, I, I think I found myself processing this passage through her. Like, the day before, she probably was processing all the dreams that she had in life. Right? Like we do. Um, what has happened when, when this, this girl has now passed and the people that are left are forced to look at and live their life a little bit differently and in their mourning, what is it that the Lord says is going to be beneficial that's going to make our hearts actually joyful? And this is where the rub comes. In the party, we embrace the illusion that life is meant to be avoided and happy all the time. In the morning, we're forced to embrace the reality of our condition and we're forced to ask ourselves, say at a funeral, what needs to change in my life knowing that this could be my last day? And it, that's a long buildup to get to that, but if I had just said that first, I don't know that it would have meant much. Does the Lord, as I'm studying this, and the Lord's taking me through this journey this week, I'm going, I, I mean, I told you I started with, I don't know that I believe that because this is hard, but as I begin to process and think about the major decisions, the changes, the way that the Lord has 
molded me, it's typically in those moments of pain and struggle and suffering and mourning that I'm the most moldable. And, the, and, and then you have to, well, why would that be? Well, that would be because when I'm partying, <laughs> whatever, that, whatever that looks like, I'm, I'm, I'm living my life in this just, I'm just all out for the adventure and the next adrenaline rush, all I'm doing is eliminating the reality of who I actually am. I'm, I'm trying to hide it and disguise it and push the, the reasoning that needs to happen, the, the meaning of who I am and what I'm supposed to be doing for my creator aside to say, this is more important because I want that rush. And thus... Solomon says, we actually have more ability to grow and find happiness in the sorrow and the pain than we do in the party. I, I mentioned at the beginning that all of this is going to be shadowed by this idea that God is sovereign. So what if what if this section of this passage, this scene, is supposed to remind us that there are bad things that happen in our life? There are moments of mourning and loss and pain and struggle and suffering because God is good and sovereign. And instead of saying, just go on your own and ignore everything that's around you, he says, I have a, a plan for you. I have work. I have meaning and I have purpose. And you're not the person that you need to be to accomplish what I've got for you today. So there's going to be some things that I'm going to put some pressure on because you can't have a diamond without it. And in that, my attitude began to change a little bit this week. I started revisiting some of the hard things that I had been going through. Some of the pain. And do you know what I realized? Every moment of that, the Lord was right next to me saying, you're going to learn something from this and it's going to be worth it. The next scene that we're given is this crossroad idea. And it, it, it's interesting. It, it talks about the difference between kind of choosing wisdom or choosing folly. And from a logical standpoint, you go, well, of course we would always choose wisdom. I mean, given, if, if it's really this clean cut, you walk up to a road and you're like, I, so this is, the, this is the picture I, you know, as a Disney guy, right? So Beauty and the Beast is one of my favorite movies of all time. Judge me, whatever, I don't care. There's a scene in Beauty and the Beast, because I know everybody's seen this, where the, the crazy dad, his name's Maurice, right, is on his way to like a fair. And he comes to this crossroad and he's lost. And the scene like paints this picture where he's looking one way and he sees this like clear, sunny path where there's like birds, right? And everything's happy. And then he turns and he looks at the other one and it's like this misty, dark, like 
unpaved path, and he's trying to choose which way to go. And you're like, <laughs> right? Like, of, like come on. Of, of course we know which way to go. And every time I watch it, it's a cartoon, right? But every time I watch it, I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> right? Like, I already know what he's going to do. And, but isn't that us? And that's what this that's what this is actually attempting to show us is that oftentimes the path of wisdom versus the path of folly is actually as obvious as that, but because of who we are, we want to do it our way and we'll choose the harder path intentionally. And if you really evaluate your life, you're going to find, well, that's true. I know the ramifications of some of my actions, but I still do them. That's not wit, what, wisdom, that's folly, right? Like, we know that. So this isn't too far-fetched, but let's dive in here. It says, it is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. We don't like this word rebuke. Um, I think one of the reasons is because there's something built in us to say, who are you to tell me what's wrong with me when I can so obviously see what's wrong in you? Like, isn't it really easy to see what's wrong with other people? It's so simple, right? Some of you believe this is actually your spiritual gift. Right? Or you're like, I can tell you what's wrong with you in seconds. It's amazing. Right? Like, we have this innate ability to go, let me tell you what's wrong with you. Right? But, but everybody has that. Everybody does. We can always see the errors of other individuals. It's really hard to see our own. And, e- and oftentimes when we do, it becomes moments where we become either so depressed or unwilling to accept what we're seeing in the mirror that we just refuse to deal with it. And I agree, that, like, this statement's hard too because honestly, so, you know, if, I don't know if you guys know love language. So one of my love languages is words of affirmation. All right? So um, it makes it really easy on my wife because all she has to do is go, Kev, you look great. And I'm like, I'm good for the day. <laughs> right? Like, that's great. Words of affirmation, it's just, you know, in, words of encouragement it, uh, to affirm me. Um, so if we're having a conversation, I would way rather have you affirm me than rebuke me. Now, I would say even if you're not a words of affirmation person, that's probably still true. There's something in us that no matter who is saying a compliment to us, we like that, right? Um, and so it, it kind of, this passage kind of turns this upside down to say we need to get ourselves in a position where we, we understand that there's more benefit hearing rebuke from somebody who's wise versus a compliment from somebody who's foolish. But when you look at this, our life tends to veer toward the compliments of the fools. 
instead of the rebuke of the wise. Now, I have learned a couple of things about this as I've processed it. Um, some of the, the ones, the, the, those of you who have the personality where, like I said, you, have the, you think your spiritual gift is to say what's wrong with everyone, um, you have a tendency to do this a little bit differently because your tendency will be, it's my responsibility to tell everyone what's wrong with them. And then what ends up happening is nobody listens to you at all because it's constant, right? So that, that, that's, when we're talking rebuke, what this passage isn't saying is you just need to go around and rebuke everybody all the time. There's rebuke of the wise. There's also rebuke of the fools, right? There's encouragement of the wise, and there's also encouragement of the fools. So we have to process through, like, what is it, like, who is it in my life that's wise that I would allow to rebuke me? I, t- I shared with you guys, like, a couple weeks ago, I, s- I put myself in front of five people and let them just kind of go at me, right? And, and I did this because I believe that it's in moments when people will put a mirror in front of you from wise individuals, right? So when the wise individual comes up and sticks a mirror in front of you, like people that you trust and that you're really going to listen to, and they put a mirror in front of you, that's, that's moments of growth because you really see who you are, right? The image of me looking in the mirror oftentimes as myself is distorted. And so this idea that there's value found in listening to the rebuke of those who would be wise. Now, I think we have to define wisdom very quickly. How do you know if somebody's wise? Wisdom is the application of knowledge under Christ. Okay? That's really important to understand. So when you're attempting to discern, like, is this a wise person, you're not looking for the smartest person in the room. You're not looking for the most studied person in the room. You're not looking for the person that spent the most time in seminary. What you're looking for is the individual that you can see takes the truths of Scripture and living a life for Jesus and able to apply them in ways that actually work. That's wisdom. I know a lot of Christ followers who have a lot of head knowledge and no wisdom whatsoever, right? So do you. So we're looking for wise rebuke. And where the rest of this kind of section here is going to go is it's going to help us understand as individuals what's going to prevent us from actually hearing that wise rebuke so that we can grow. So we have to first start with wise rebuke just like this pain through mourning, this pain through loss, this pain through suffering is maybe pain we need to go through that is for our good. So we start with that premise, and then we look at some of the issues. There's basically three here, um, and you're going to relate to one of these really well as to why you would avoid wise rebuke. Look at verse 7. Surely, Oppression drives the wise into madness and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. There's this idea, so as real as I can be, this is the one that I struggle with, okay? 
This is the idea that everything can be fixed quickly. Quick fix. Like, there's good in the world, there's, we just need to keep going, and we need the quick fix. And lots of you will struggle with this as well. The idea here is, it says, Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. It's, a, it's an inability to wait wisely. So, when, with people with this, what will happen is you might hear rebuke or you might be in a situation and you'll refuse the rebuke because you'll find the quick solution to fix the problem before the rebuke can even actually take place in your heart. Right? So in this instance, it's a sinful bribe. It's like, oh, well, I'll just bribe somebody and we'll be done. Solution solved. Right? So this is one, I don't know if this is you, this is one of those things that you might deal with in saying when somebody comes to you with a rebuke, it's like, oh, we just got to fix this really quickly. Um, and you'll miss the wise rebuke as, as, a, as a result. The next one um, is anger. Um, I'll read the passage first, but it says, be not quick, verse 9, be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. This is, you might miss the rebuke because somebody comes to you in love to express something that the Lord needs for you to hear, and your response is immediate anger. Right? At some level, everybody experiences this. How dare you? Right? Um, if this is you, the warning here is that the more you get angry, the more you refuse to accept the rebuke from the wise, the more anger will actually lodge in your heart. You'll, you'll actually turn into an angry person. It's the best way I can describe it is this way, because this is kind of how the image works. A thief always thinks they're getting stolen from. Right? So a person who's dealing with anger always responds in anger because they always think they're being attacked. Right? All right. The, the last one is complaining. And this is the one that, if so far if I haven't hit you, this is going to be it. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Oh my gosh, it was so much better before. Life was so much better. You know, we just need to get back to what we were doing. We just, you know, it, we're in a hard situation and, 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 and things need to change. It's not about me changing, it's about the circumstance. We, the circumstance needs to change. My, my location needs to change. My, my, I, I, just, I just need to be removed from the situation, which you're going to find that, the, here's the problem with this one. If you become a runner from rebuke, then you will always run from rebuke. And do you know what's going to happen? No change will ever occur. 
It's like somebody will come and say, I just need a new start. And I'm like, what do you need a new start from? And they start to tell me, and I'm like, well, what's changed from the last mistake to this mistake that a new start isn't going to just cause you to fall right back into where you are now, right? And we see it all the time. People be like, oh, I just need to go somewhere, or I need to do something different. I need a new job. And then they just take the same problems to the old new job, right? It's this idea that, man, it's, it's always going to be better. I just, I just need another circumstance, right? Um, verse 11, wisdom is good with an inheritance and advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is the wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. The rebuke of the wise and the wisdom that comes from it, Solomon says, the reason you don't want to miss it, the reason you don't want to attempt the quick fix, the reason you want to like sit in this and and understand it, and, and process it. The reason you don't want to get angry and dismiss it, the reason you don't want to complain about it and just change, is because the wisdom that you'll gain from that is like the protection that you have when you have a bunch of money in your savings account. It, it allows you the ability to prevent financial ruin in in hard times where wisdom will allow you to continue to grow in the new difficult circumstances that are coming and you'll handle them better all right i know this is a lot so what let me wrap this section up okay what is good in this life we're answering this question we have found that it's good to process who we are that our life is short and that we need to make changes so that we can pursue the life that the Creator has for us. We have also learned that some of that's going to come from rebuke from the wise, the ability to grow, right? The ability for others to see what's happening in us and as a a body of believers work together to help each other grow in the wisdom and knowledge so that we are all fulfilling that which the Lord desires us to fulfill. But we've also learned that there's several things that will prevent that. Your attitude toward life, this desire for constant need for attention and sound bites and a lack of processing will prevent that. And the other thing that will prevent that is when you're seeking out constant affirmation or the songs of the fools over the wisdom of the wise. Okay? We have another question to answer. The second question we have to answer is, who can tell what will happen? And I... this, This is like the question that every philosopher who has ever existed has attempted to answer, right? We talked about this at the beginning a little bit. We don't know what our, you don't know what tomorrow's holds. You don't. You don't know. I have a vacation coming up in two weeks, and I want to go. I have hope that in two weeks' time, I'll get to. 
But I can tell you right now, I have no idea. There's, there's so much that can happen, not only in a 24-hour period, but let alone two weeks, that could prevent that from occurring. All of the hopes and desires, we, we have hopes to say, man, I want to see, let's just pick something big. I want to see the city of Boston reach for the, the glory of Jesus, and I believe that the, the people in this room have that ability by his grace. If we'll even apply some of the things that are here, but I also know that life is hard. And even if you say, I'm going to be on board with that, there are circumstances of life, both good and bad, that will prevent participation to its greatest extent. There are things that get taken away from us so quickly that we, our life is drastically changed in a moment. Where you are walking one direction and literally the Lord, in whatever reason, stops you from going that direction and pushes you another way. Paul said, I want to go to Rome, but the Holy Spirit said no, no. The Holy Spirit prevented me from going. I don't even know what that looked like. We're not told. But it wasn't a no. It was a, you're not going, and you've tried. I'm preventing you from going. It's just a complete change. We... So what do we do in that, that circumstance? And this is what the last part of these verses are attempting to answer. Verses 13 and 14, it says, Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? And that should get us emotional. Because you know what? We want it to be straight. I, I grew up learning Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean on your understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Lord, everything's supposed to be straight. If I'm following you, it's straight. Well, that's not what that means. There's another verse that talks about the Word being a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. And the more I've studied that, do you realize, like, like if you tie those two things together from a theological standpoint, I could actually defend falsely okay, Lord, if I'm following your way and I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing and I'm listening and I'm trying and, and, and you're going to bless me and the two things you're going to bless me is you're going to give me a path that's not only straight but lit. Right? No. Um, Jesus' path wasn't that straight. Paul's path wasn't that straight. Uh, pick your favorite Bible character. Show me straight. Uh, what I've realized is that the moments of greatness happen after the moments of desert. Meaning if you don't go in the desert, you're never going to see anything great. Here's the other one that I, I struggle with in this. Do you realize that in John 15, Jesus talks about pruning? And he says, I will prune those who are fruitful so that later you'll bear more fruit. I don't like that verse. But it's true. Sometimes, do you realize that 
the Lord will put you on something that he's made to be crooked for you so that you'll go through a growing process even though you're bearing fruit he wants you to bear more and the current person you are can't bear more fruit so he breaks you down and every single time he breaks us down do you know what it requires the answer i told you at the beginning jesus meaning every time we're broken down every time he puts us on something that's crooked or hard it requires a greater dependency upon him or it's supposed to and then what comes out of that at the end is something that can bear even more fruit than it bare before and I, when i say i don't like this passage because it goes against everything humanistically that i want lord Straight path, lit. And he goes, no. You might even hear, well done, good and faithful servant, desert. Well, that doesn't feel very American. <laughs> Consider the work. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful, in the day adversity, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. Whoa. God made the good day where it's straight and lit. God made the bad day where it's going to feel like desert. And there's nothing we can do about it wrong there is something we can do about it our attitude is supposed to be the same regardless if we don't know what the future holds then we must trust in the one who holds it I'll say this again when we don't know what the future holds then we have to trust in the one who holds it. This is really good theology. The sovereignty of God is everything. So this is, this is where I'm going to be really like, this is, this is an emotional component for me. I'm a pastor. People come to me and they say, this is my issue, fix it. And I go, oh, well, I mean, I'll try, but here's the thing, I can't. I can't. There's a lot of expectations placed. Like, fix my problem. I, I can't fix your problem. I, I, can, I can lead you to what Scripture says. I can say, this is what the Scriptures tell you to do. And, and in most cases, here's the problem. Some people will come, and I'll do the same thing. Or I'll go to somebody, and I, I need advice. Like, I'm going through this. And what it really boils down to is, you're in the desert, and the Lord puts you there, and there is no out till he's done with you. Because he created that for you. So what do you do in that moment? Well, what did everybody in Scripture that we see was in the desert do? Well, they made mistakes, and they complained about it, and they didn't listen to wise rebuke often. Because they were either complaining about their current circumstance or they were angry at somebody, maybe including God, or they just wanted the quick fix. We see that all throughout Scripture. 
I'll just kill that guy, and then my fix is done. Right? What would it look like if we were actually able to, regardless if it felt straight or crooked, to come to the conclusion that God is still good, God is still sovereign, I don't know how to fix this problem, this isn't an issue where I'm dealing with ramifications of my sin, or even if it is, I don't know how to get out of this, I'm in the desert, Lord, why do you have me in the desert? And the, the response is probably not going to come, so what do you do? You lean into the one that put you there. And you say, okay, I will accept desert, pain, struggle, difficulty. Here it comes. Just like Jesus did. And there it is. I don't want to be in the desert. But we don't have an issue with Jesus being in the desert. It's, it's crazy in these, this, this book. Solomon didn't even know who Jesus was, and yet he keeps coming back to, there has to be this hope of something that is greater than us in order for us to live the way that he's describing. He's, he's pre-announcing that there's going to be this figure, and there it is, Jesus. Je- we would never say, Jesus, I w- just pull yourself out of the desert. No, we know that he needed to be in it for our sake. And then scripture tells us that one of the best ways that we can relate to Jesus and become more like him is to understand his suffering by going through our own. And I'll I'll say this this way. Thank God Jesus didn't go, I've had enough. Father, why? Why'd you put me in the desert? What did Jesus say in the moments of the desert? Not your will, not my will, but your will be done. I, I mean, he's Jesus. He knows the plan. I know we don't usually. But even Jesus, like he said things like, well, I don't know when I'm coming back. He didn't know the whole thing. What would it look like for Christ followers to actually live this way? What would change? What if in these difficult moments, instead of looking for the quick fix or getting angry or complaining, we actually went, my Savior didn't do that. He was offered it. Satan offered him a quick fix at the beginning when he was in the literal desert. Jesus had every right to get angry when he shouldn't. He He's God. He created us. These dumb people, why do I have to do this? And he had every right to complain. I mean, we talk about all, we sing it, that he left heaven to come to this sin-cursed earth, and he could go back and go, man, the days before were so much better. Jesus changed the world Because in the moments of his greatest difficulty, he leaned into the sovereignty of the Father instead of his own earthly desires. And this is what I, if if, if nothing else, this is it today, okay? 
You have the potential to, make, to do great things in Christ. Every one of you. It's not going to be the way that you think. And it's always going to come from hardship over blessing. Every time. Every time. So this is what I'll challenge you in. If you are an individual right now and you're going, man, I'm going through something hard and I'm, I'm just, I'm looking to pull myself out of the hard, then I'm telling you right now, if that's not God's plan for you, you're going to find yourself, as you pull yourself out, it's just going to be hard over here. It's going to be just as hard. But you're also going to miss what he has for you. And you won't, you won't make that great of a difference. Think of Jesus going to the individual and saying, sell all of your possessions and follow me. And they're like, no, it's not worth it. What did he miss? What did he miss? So we're going to sing a song, and I'm, I, 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 this has been hard. You can probably feel it. Like, it's hard on me, because I need to hear this stuff. It, it's hard to explain. It's hard to process, because it goes against every single ounce of our human nature. But I don't know what the Holy Spirit's doing in your heart, but this is what I would tell you. We need to respond. Right? Whatever the Holy Spirit's asking you to do, I, I, I would encourage you in every way possible to hear it and be obedient to it. If the Lord's gifted you with wise people in your life who can help you grow and encourage you to listen, check yourself. Maybe you need to repent over this temptation of quick fix or anger or complaint. But I do believe with everything in me that when we go through hard things like this passage, that we can actually embrace those moments to say, Lord, in your sovereignty, you can use difficult pain, even lack of understanding, to help make me more like Christ. And I would encourage you to do that. There's no point in going through hard stuff like this and just going, wow, that was hard. Right? If we're going to go through it anyway, why not grow? Why not learn? Why not allow the Lord to apply the pressure that's needed to turn us into the diamonds that he desires? Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your heart. Thank you that you don't give up on us. Lord, I, I don't know fully what to do with this even in my own life. So I humbly come to you and say, Lord, teach me. Lord, I... I love you. I beg you that whatever desert moments that you have for me, I ask that you would give me personally the grace to grow in those moments and not resent them. Lord, don't, don't let me be 
the quick fix, the, the, the person of anger or the complainer. And Lord, I, with all of my heart, desired that for everyone in this room. So Lord, I don't know what everybody's going through. I know that some are in the desert. And Lord, if that's where you need them to be, I pray that they would find comfort in your sovereignty. I ask, Lord, that you would prevent them from worrying about answers and just lean into the fact that you're in control and you have this and there's a meaning and a purpose for it. Lord, I, I pray for those right now who are struggling because their life is this desire for constant adrenaline, avoidance, whatever it is, Lord. I pray that that you would do something in their life that would prevent that and find them on their knees with their only ability to look up and beg you for help. And Lord, I pray for your church. I pray that we would model this. Lord, remind us that it's in the midst of the difficult that you use us the most because in our weakness, you are strong. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.